RadioInfluence.com. In today's Real Animals podcast, uh, I'll be joined by Kelly Phillips. He's the president and owner of Bull Bay Rods, a uh, near and dear friend of mine. He's also an IFA kayak tournament world champion. He won the overall IFA kayak series one year here, I guess, back 2010, 2011. So super talented angler, super talented businessman, and he builds one heck of a rod. Real Animals podcast presented by Contender Boats. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I'm looking forward to doing it. Kelly, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. How about yourself? You know what? I can't complain, man. Talking fishing is what I love to do, and uh, talking with people in the fishing industry is super good stuff. So uh, let's kind of dive into this a little bit. How how does somebody just, I mean, did you, you grew up in Lakeland, right? Is that where you're from originally? Polk County, yes, sir. Polk, Lakeland, Polk, Florida. Polk County. Um, and then, and so did you, you grew up, I'm assuming you would grow up bass fishing then. Did you grow up with a bass fishing passion or was saltwater kind of always the deal? You know, my grandparents used to take us, uh, fishing there in Saddle Creek out of our Orlando Clipper. We'd, we'd pan fish, crappy and all that. And we became teenagers and we learned how to jump over the fences on the cow pastures and <laughs> stuff like that, you know? Right. And, uh, we'd had an inner tube and man, we'd get on the bass fishing thing and, it was it was pretty cool, man. Back in the day, you almost want to reminisce over that stuff. But Polk County grew up bass fishing, fished just about every pinnick that you could find on the map there, and uh, you know caught some very very good sized bass and just had good times, man. So that's that was kind of my background and my beginning of the fishing was my family. Everybody in my family fished and played music and sit around the campfire, sang a little bit. Nice. We fished. That was about it, you know. Well, and that led you to uh, some, I know, some saltwater stuff. Uh, I know when I first met you and, and first heard about Bull Bay Rods, uh, you were just coming off winning the IFA Kayak Championship. How did you get into the Redfish Tournament side? And then, which I did the Redfish Tournament Trail, but I did mine out of a boat. You did yours out of a kayak? Well, you know, uh, 2008 came along and got rid of my boat and skinny down the, the expenses and all that. And, I just couldn't stop fishing, so I decided to go down and get a kayak. And one of my good friends, Chuck Asperger, he says, Hey, man, you're really good at this. Maybe you should start fishing these tournaments. And uh, next thing you know, I fished a few local tournaments, won first place a few times. And basically, I took the bass fishing instincts that I had and I fished the flats kind of the same way topwater plugs, stuff like that, um, you know, jigs, and just kind of all, it's kind of the same stuff, looking for moving water, you know, just the attributes of fishing. And uh, when I started fishing saltwater, man, I tell you what, the big snook or big redfish or something like that, man, it just made me goose bump up a lot, and I just couldn't get enough of it. So, and that led me to the tournaments. So there you go. Well, let's let's talk about that because I think that's a cool accomplishment. Um, you know, I fished a tour for 10 years and never getting to uh, – I finished third is my highest finish. I had a bunch of top 10s and a bunch of top 20s but never could – crack that code on the IFA side and, and win a, a championship. So let's talk about that. What year What year did you win the, the kayak championship? Do you remember? Uh, 2010 was an actual championship. It was a Hobie championship deal there, and uh, I was fishing out of a Hobie, uh, Hobie Pro Angler to say you know, it be exact, but 
Well, I tell you what, yeah, it was an experience because you're up against. I mean, these guys are fishing on kayaks, and no, no disrespect to the boat guys, but these guys were. I mean, you're fishing five, six, seven hours at a time in a kayak. You're not getting out. You're not doing this and that. Yeah, hardcore sure. stuff. You know. Oh yeah. No doubt. I could listen, I, dude. At six five, two hundred and seventy pounds, I don't even see me in a kayak. Like <laughs> yeah. I need a kayak. I need like a twelve foot kayak for one for each foot. So let alone sit in a kayak for six hours and make casts. I mean, you know, back in the day, I could do it off the boat all day long. But like you said, you know, it's easy to just put your rod down and walk around the boat and you know grab some trail mix or grab some protein or something or grab a bottle of water it's it's a lot harder to do when you're sitting in that kayak and you have you know limited space for goodies and all that and then let alone add the pressure of a tournament situation to it where you're actually fishing against other professional skilled anglers and you're trying to close the deal i can't even imagine yeah it was it was it was tough and a little bit of fun but a lot more stress i think you know. So what? Tell me what it was like, because again, I, I didn't get to experience it on the IFA side anyway. What was it like to be on that stage as a IFA Tour champion? Well, you know, I won a few times before that, so I kind of got warmed up to being up there in the spotlight. What was really cool about the uh, IFA? They really put on a class act event. Even today, they're the same way. I mean, they run a tight ship. It's a nice event. Um, the payouts are really, really rewarding. I remember the first time I come home with a with a win, I, they gave me a Hobie Pro Anger kayak, which today they're four or five thousand dollars, right? Right. So I head home, I get to the house, I win this tournament, I catch a redfish and a trout, and I've got the biggest of the two. And uh, I was exhausted, a little bit worn out, but in the spotlight, you get in that moment, man, you get a little nervous, you know, putting everybody staring at you, your peers are looking at you like, who's this guy from Lakeland, you know? Right. And uh, so I get home, and this kayak's on the back of my truck. And my wife says. Where did you really get that? Because <laughs> first place you want a Hobie kayak, you right? Know? She thought you so went and bought I another kayak. <laughs> she did. She really said that. She where did you really get that? And you did not win that. So here I am with a four thousand dollar Hobie kayak stacked on top of mine, and it kind of it kind of resonated a little bit. So man, this is pretty cool. I get to go fishing out of a kayak. You know, it doesn't cost you any gas money. Fish where you're at. You don't have to run thousand miles out in the bay like you're in a boat. Right. Just fish where you put it on the shore and just fish. But now, how did, how did, how did they do that? When when and just so I I got a better visual of it. I mean, you know, we did a kind of a shotgun start. Everybody drew a number and you kind of they called your number and you kind of went out as a fleet. You know, one at boat after another. I mean, how, is that how they do it with the kayaks too? I mean, I think that would be tough, boy. Uh, the kayak side's a, a lot more. It's a lot tougher, if you will. Um, you got to put it in where you can. A good thing about on the Hobie side or the IFA, they tell you you can fish anywhere you want. So, I mean, if you had your own background there, you like to fish your backwaters, or you're in Pensacola and we're in Alabama, just go to Pensacola and fish off the shore. And it was all photo release. So, oh, I got you. You had, okay. to, you had to have a good camera. You had to take a good picture. And then they really knew if you are messing around with Photoshop or anything like that. So... Well, and that's got to be tough to do too. How are you taking a picture in the kayak? You got to be in the kayak. You got to have it attached to you. You can't be 10, 10 miles away from the kayak. You got to be attached to it. Interesting. When you catch your fish, you have your measuring board, which they gave you a measuring stick. Right. And all of us kayakers made us a little board that would float so we can get a good measurement, and, you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, Interesting. So we'd measure it in the kayak, take take two, three good shots of that fish with your with your card that you have when you when you go to the captain meeting. They give you like a card that had your number on it and your right. your deals, your coin, if you will. You put it on the fish, take your picture, and then when you go to the weigh-in, it's game on. You know who's got the biggest, the most inches, and they would really scrutinize. They'd have four or five laptops set up, and they would all talk in between and. Sure. But they gave you your number. That was it. Your measurement was your measurement. It wasn't done by weight. It was done by length. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that's super cool. Super cool. So, yeah. well, let's, I mean, you know, while we're on this topic, you know, I was going to kind of jump into rods a little bit, but let's, let's talk about, I mean, obviously, uh, the, the kayak situation lends itself to artificial lures, you know, so, I mean, you know, with winning championships, what are your favorite artificial lures to throw when the money's on the line, you're trying to win a big tournament, you know, what's your go-to bait? Well, you know, um, when I was doing that heavily, I was using uh, primarily top water plugs. Okay. Uh, top water being your uh, walk-the-dog scenario. Sure. Yep. And I needed a good fast-action rod to get that click, 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 click. And I tell you, I caught 90% of my fish early in the morning before, you know, maybe before 10 a.m. on top water. Really? Interesting. And I tell you what, I love, 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 love some top water hits, even bass fishing <laughs> yeah. or, or salt water. So. Well, there's very but few things. But then the other times I would, use, I would use jigs, you know, soft plastics, you know, your mirrodine plastics that are out there. And, you know, my favorite color at the time was a root beer with a chartreuse tail, you know. Interesting. And uh seemed like it always would. I'd always get it. Well, colors, I think colors have a lot to do with that. You have to believe in the color you're using and then trying to match the hatch a little bit obviously is important. You know, clean water versus dirty water, sometimes colors come into play, but a lot of times it's just that. It's that you believe in the color that you're throwing. I think that makes a ton of sense, you know. You I just, didn't have a box full of tackle, brother. I would just have a few different ones I used, and that's what I did, you know. I wouldn't think you'd be able to, uh, you know, again, being in the kayak, there isn't a ton of room. So I wouldn't think you'd be able to have, <laughs> you know, 78 bags of artificials with you, you know? That's exactly right. So you yeah. got what you got. Bring, you know, fish with what you got, you know? Right, 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 right. So let's, let's talk about bull bay rods and how that whole thing kind of spun into being. So you're in the kayak. Obviously, the kayak situation lends itself to a bunch of of high sticking fish because you're sitting down having to land those fish with traditional seven foot, six inch, eight foot rods. And the way I understand it, you were having some trouble with rods exploding, correct? Yeah. So I, you know, one of my good friend Chuck buys me this rod. It's really nice. It's about 130 bucks at a big box store. And I'm like, man, this is one of the nicest rods I've had. So I go back and buy me a second one. I got two of them. I've had them about two, three weeks. And, uh, Fishing the tournaments and stuff like that, you know, you want you want decent equipment, lightweight, sensitive. And I grew up bass fishing, and we had to find the rocks with the rod. We didn't have a sonar. We didn't have any of that stuff. We did old school. Right. And um, I wanted – I kind of liked that fast action tip rod so I could feel more of what's going on. And uh, so I had a couple rods break, and uh, they were new. And and I'm like, wow, this is weird because growing up as a kid, I you know, we didn't have a lot of rods break, but – you know, you have guides fall apart, but you didn't have a lot of breaks. Right. And um, so I go down and I, and I experiment on the custom rods, you know. I'm a little upset with the warranty on the rods. 
Uh, they wouldn't warranty the rods because uh, I had, when I was fishing those tournaments, I had to put tips on them immediately and keep fishing. And uh, so they told me basically, good luck, you know. A little agitated. I'm like, you know what? Forget about you guys. So I went and, and learned how to build custom rods. And the experience I found there were building the rods, and then I went out and started casting them. I went with the Tango Free Guides, which we still put on the rods today. I'm getting. 15, 20 feet further in my casting distance, and I can't believe it. <laughs> so I'm out in the kayak. I'm fishing one of the IFA tournaments with one of my custom rods, and the guy beside me, a bunch of Hobie guys, really, it was on the Hobie team. We were kind of fishing together. And they would cast, and then I would cast to compare distances, and they would look at me like, how in the world are you doing that? They didn't say it, but you could see it in their face, you know? Right. Um, so that kind of you know came back, and we, Bull Bay Rods was born. You know, I'm like, you know, everybody needs to have this. This is not, it's not fair. You go into a big box store, you go in your local tackle stores and there was nothing, nothing that I can find at the time that compared to anything like what I was fishing with. So I'm like, okay, you know what? We need to start a company. And I told my son to say, I'm going to start a rock company because I think everybody needs to be able to experience this. And he looks at me like I've got five heads. Well, Bull Bay is now still alive and doing well. <laughs> I still think you have five heads. Um, I still think you're a little <laughs> well, crazy. Well, I do, but... kind of, sort of. Hey, the hats won't even fit me, you know? What else? <laughs> but I dig that about you. So let's let's dive into some of the technical stuff. You know, I, I was thinking about this uh, earlier today. You know, I mean, what are the big differences from rods 20 years ago, Kelly, to rods today? Well, let's go back to the 70s, 1970, 71, 72, there's the company called Fenwick kind of ventured into graphite fishing okay. rods. Right. And the world of fishing changed forever because back in the day, everybody used glass, fiberglass. You know, they did their job. People caught fish on them, but the, you, wasn't, you weren't able to really get the distance. You weren't able to get the feel. Carbon, uh, carbon fiber and graphite kind of, it was kind of an evolution, if you will, over time. The graphite world changed bass fishing forever. And then you've seen it kind of in, you know, in the late 80s kind of moving and blending into the saltwater world. So it kind of grew into different parts of the industry. Most of the saltwater fishing back then was more your offshore guys and fishing for grouper. You really need, never really talked about redfish and snook that much. You didn't see it as much. I didn't know much about it. But as evolution comes along, more people fishing, the graphite, uh, world just exploded. Now you go into a store and you almost can't find a rod on the shelf. It's not some kind of graphite material. Right. You know, so really it comes down to graphite being a stronger material than glass. But glass is, is more durable is I guess the best way to say it. Glass is, uh, it's got a bit a more of a flex, but it doesn't have the sensitivity or the pounds per inch or per square inch that you're going to get out of graphite. So now, graphite becomes carbon fiber when it's heated at a certain temperature. And then graphite actually becomes carbon fiber if you heat it enough. Just so you know. So how have how I mean you know so you take obviously a, a better product, a stronger product, and you add it with, I mean obviously guides have changed the positioning of the guides. It seems to me there's more guides on rods now than it used to be. Rods are at an, uh, guides are at an angle on rods. I mean, if you take 
old school rods, and I always seem to have a few left in my garage from way back in the day. Even the stuff, I've got some stuff that hangs on the wall in my office that was my grandfather's uh, that he fished, you know, with down in Florida, you know, many, many moons ago. Uh, Mitchell 300s on them, things like that, old Abu Garcias and things like that. And, uh, and the rods, I mean, just totally different. I mean, the, 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 the guides were like, look like just little pieces of aluminum kind of twisted in circles. I mean, it, the evolution of the guide must have just changed the game tremendously, I would think. Well, you know, um, what you're talking about, just an all metal guy with no rings in them and stuff like that, you can still get those today. What we're finding, however, with, with braided line, A, it's noisy, and two, uh, it seems to wear down on your braid a little bit, you know, if it's all metal. That makes sense. So there comes ceramic. You know, ceramic is born. And actually, ceramic was born before braid was really born, but we can fast forward into that today. Your your guides that you're referring to that are angled forward a little bit, I think it was around six, seven years ago, Fuji invented what they call a uh, tangle-free guide or K-series guides. Actually, it was about 2008 or nine when they came out with those. And that's when... I learned of them, and that's where Bull Bay originally started putting on, putting them on the rods right out the gate. Uh, I found with the guides being forward, it helped the angler using braided line have a lot less issues with tangles and knots, or, knots. or, or AKA wind knots, yeah. Right. Hmm. Um, and also, not to discount the tip that's on those guide frames, it's got a little bit of a, a setup on it to where the guide, the line actually kind of helps it fall off of the the front of the tip of the rod a little better so you have less tangles on the tip of your rod as well. So they're all made to kind of alleviate some of the tangles or whatever you're getting from the braid kind of helps you not have that as much. Right, right. Well, you know, it just it's like everything else in the fishing industry. You know, there's there's been so much evolution in, you know, outboard motors and boats and hulls and, you know, lures and reels. And, you know, it only makes sense that, the fishing rod would be, you know, growing in personality as well. You know, things that changes the quality and components and things would, would up the game in the rod world as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I know, Absolutely. you know, from throwing the bull bay rods myself now for several years, I know that we, uh, we, we, we take a lot of care and time and energy. How much R&D goes into coming out with a new rod for bull bay rods i mean what, well, what, you know, what's funny, the process funny you ask that because we we've been making um, okay so just a little bit about the bull bay process we we make custom rods on a pretty large scale but we we listen to the anglers we listen to you the captains and and you've had a hand in building some of the real animals lines of rods and we want feedback from you. You're telling me you're having a problem with this, you're having a problem with that, or this doesn't feel right, or, you know, I wish you could do this. We take that literally and we put it on paper. We go to our R&D department. We say, look, Captain Mike wants something that's got a little bit more tip action or he wants something with a little bit more flex down the blank and on the parabolic bend what can we do to satisfy that need for Captain Mike, Captain Ryan Rickard, some of those other captains out in the water? We get feedback from you guys before we make it. Then we make it, and then we give it back to you guys, and we go out you know, almost a year most of the time of you fishing it and giving us feedback. Do we have a lot of breaks? No. Do we have 
the guide's falling apart? No. Are we having issues with rings splitting in the guide frame from brake cutting it? No. If we meet all of those challenges, then that rod becomes a sniper rod or a real animal's rod. So we don't just sit in an ivory tower somewhere and, and say, hey, make me a thousand rods and somewhere overseas. We had literally our hands on with everything we make or build or, or before it goes out to the street. You guys have come back to us and said, look, you guys need to fix this or you guys need, got this going on. We fix it before we put it out to the masses. It seems like so, to me, it seems like to me being in, you know, the Tampa market where I live, obviously there's so many tackle stores. So I'm in and out of the tackle stores. We have a lot of those tackle stores that sponsor the radio shows. And, and so yeah. I'm in and out of there all the time. And it seems like Rod X from year to year doesn't seem to change much. And I think that's what I've liked about being part of this Bull Bay process is it seems like every six months there's a new twist. There's just something that we're and, – and it may not be a, 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 a very visible twist, but these small twists, and it may just be you know the length of the butt. Um, it, it may be cork, no cork handles. It may be EVA. I mean, it just – it seems like we're all – we always have different – you know, different grips, different, uh, you know, ergonomically correct grips that come. And it just seems like they're, we're constantly playing. And it doesn't seem like a lot of the other companies do a lot of that. They try to kind of stay right in the middle of the road. And is that something that Bull Bay has tried to do since the beginning? We have done that been, since the beginning, and we're always trying to innovate and improve. Um, the reason you don't see it on a lot of the larger manufacturers because they'll order – 10,000 units and those rods you got to get moved before they can, they got two years, three yeah, years of holding those, holding those rods. Right. Um, I'm assuming that's their case. Uh, that makes sense. You know, sure. Um, Bull Bay, man, we're always doing the R and D. We're always getting feedback on the custom rod thing. It really gives us an advantage. We're able to talk one-on-one to, to people walking in and out of the building and saying, Hey, I would like a 15 to 30. I want a tarpon rod or I want something to, you know, make a grouper rod, or I made old uh, Mike Mike uh, Mahoney over there a rod for catching giant tuna. Right. You know, but I'm not going to put that rod out in production until I know a giant tuna rod over there is catching giant tuna and it's not having issues. I know, you know? that. And that's the feedback we need. You know, I know that I got a message from Jim Nassett uh, with the Pro Marine Fishing Team, one of the you know best kingfish tournament teams in the entire country. And I know we built custom rods for them, and they are absolutely ecstatic with that rod. They've been using them now for at least a season and a half, maybe two seasons, and uh, they're thrilled with the rods. So I'm really impressed. And and how hard is that to do, Kelly, when somebody – because I know Jim Nassett brought Bull Bay a rod and said, this is the rod we really like. Can you build us something like this? And then Bull Bay rods went and did it. And then they like these rods better than the rods they were using. How hard is that to do as a company? Well, here's a funny story with Jim. And he says, Kelly, and and, I, and he gave me, I think, an old Shimano rod or dial or something. Anyway, it was a discontinued rod. He liked them. He wanted that rod. It was a 7.4 or some weird number. He says, Kelly, this is what I'm looking for. And I said, well, what are you doing with the rod, Jim? He says, kingfishing. He said, but I might use it for other stuff, but that's my primary use. I said, Jim. I have a, a blank that we use. It's called the Brute Force. We've been putting them out since 2011. And I really think you need to give it a try. He says, 
is it close to what I have now? I said, being honest with you, what you have now to me, in my opinion, building rods might be a little bit stiff. I think if you're using a stinger rig on a kingfish, I think it might be not as advantageous to you where it might pull the hook out because it, it does have a little bit more stiffness to it. He says, all right, so I want to trust you. Build me two. We made two of our bull bay rods, um, brute force rods, which we still make today. We put his company logos on them, nicely did them up. Didn't put a lot of epoxy on them. By the way, we don't believe that you need a ton of epoxy on a rod to make it look nice. It just adds weight and it takes away from your action. Right. So we got him to two rods. <laughs> he fishes that next weekend. The uh, It was King of the Beach, and then he fished the Wild Wild West. He started posting off all over Facebook. Oh, my gosh, I bought these. I won the Wild Wild West 65-pound. We broke the the record on this tournament and then the next very next weekend they hit one for 68 or 70 pounds i think it was a big another he calls big up dustin and he says holy smokes you guys have knocked it out of the park he says i wasn't sure about this he said i was fishing with a seven four or whatever and you guys got me a seven foot he said i'm sold he said make me 25 more <laughs> <laughs> well that, and that's then a good you're thing. telling me Two years ago, that's when we did that. You're telling me like three weeks ago. Well, you can quote what he said to you. That's absolutely. Yeah, he, he just dropped me a know. text and said, "Hey, you know, he wasn't sure whether or not I was still part of Bull Bay Rods, but if I was, I should stay put." He said because he he believes so highly in the product that being a part of Bull Bay Rods was a good thing. So I I, I, t- I took that as a big compliment, and it should be a compliment to you and Dustin. And again, that's on. That's on the custom side of the house, you know, being able to pick out that blank that matched the blank that he wanted to get that, you know, action just right for him. To me, I think that's really, really, that would be really, really hard to do on a consistent basis. And to have somebody, who, and to have somebody who's as, as methodical and thorough, I don't want to say he's picky, but, but everything has to be right. You know, it's one of the things I learned about the Kingfish tournament guys is that everything in their world is is systematic it's precise they like what they like they do what they do and those teams that win often and win a lot and that's an expensive hobby i mean you're talking about boats that are close to half a million dollars you know and they pre-fish for you know four days burning you know six hundred dollars worth of fuel every day um it's an expensive hobby, not, you know, let's not even counting travel to North Carolina and Louisiana and all the places that they fish around the state of Florida. Um, so those guys, they don't, you know, when you get an opportunity to win 25 grand or 30 grand, whatever the kitty may be, you can't have, you know, man, I wish if our rods did this, you know, then we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have lost that fish. Everything has to be right. So uh, to me, the fact that, you know, a national powerhouse like Pro Marine would, you know, choose to use Bull Bay's custom rods uh, and not just two of them, but 25 of them, that says a lot about uh, the company, especially on that, on that custom side. I was over at uh, the boat show here last two, I don't know, a month and a half ago, and his main sales director guy comes up to me and says, hey, I want some, a couple of those rods that you made, Jim. I said, well, just grab some of Jim's. I was just goofing off with him. He says, no, he won't let me touch his rods. He said, that'll be like, <laughs> so you want to laugh because you know, you kind of see where Jim's at, you know, those are his stuff. And he's very, very, 
meticulous yeah. to say the least yeah he really is yeah. I mean, it was interesting to me in talking to those guys and getting to know them over the last four or five years you know each guy on a tournament kingfish team and there's usually four i think four guys per team each guy has a job and no one else on the boat even thinks about doing that person's job like one person does all the wire rigging all the line tying all the knots one person does all that um, that way, if there's ever a problem in that particular area of the fish catching event, there's no wondering who tied the knot or who tied the wire or, you know, whatever. You know immediately who screwed it up. And I thought, man, that's interesting. You know, one guy drives. <laughs> yeah, one won't guy, go next time. <laughs> yeah, one guy flies the kite. You know, one guy does all the gaffing of the fish. I mean, they got everything kind of methodically set up as to who does what. It's pretty uh it's pretty interesting. So, you know, those guys are really particular about their tackle has to be right, um, which I get. I fish tournaments for years, and the last thing you want is an equipment failure, you know, when you're, you know, looking at a $50,000 fish. So I totally get that. Now let's talk, uh, let's talk bull bay rods in the future. Let's actually, let's not talk bull bay rods. Let's just talk rods. Where do you think yeah. rods, where are rods going in the future? Do you see anything? Um, on the horizon that, that might be interesting to talk about something, you know, where, like I said, where rods may go 10, 15 years from now. Well, you know, I'm not sure. Everybody's trying to say they've got the higher resin, resin graded graphite and they've got this and you're starting to see glass rods make their way back into the bass world. Um, for your guys throwing chatter baits and crank baits. Um, they're not feeling anything and those rods are throwing them and, and the rods just kind of bend a little bit while the chatterbait swims through the water. And then they, they, when the rod pulls, they pull it back to get a fish on. So it's kind of funny to see glass S glass. Some of the new technologies are calling S glass as a different blend of, of graphite and glass mixed together. Uh, it's a lot less expensive to make. So you see the manufacturers are all, kind of talking glass more so in their blanks than the past because they save money. Oh, Graphite okay. is getting more and more expensive to purchase because of the, the evolution of batteries and electric vehicles and stuff like that. Graphite is one of the primary sources that goes in those lithium batteries. I got gotcha. you. So you'll see a change a little bit going in expense of graphite. See, graphite is 70%, 65% of graphite is mined in China. India, Brazil, America, you cannot mine graphite in America. It's against the EPA rules or whatever the rules are there. So when somebody says the rod's 100% made in America, they got to be careful what they're saying because graphite's not even mined here. I got you. You know? Okay. Uh, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. I'm just saying we just, as an industry, we got to be careful on how All we right. put that out there. Well, no, uh, I, So I, I think, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I just think you'll see a move to the graphite more, or I'm sorry, the glass graphite blend more to cut costs. I don't know that we will ever go down that road unless it's, unless we can get the same strength and, and sensitivity we're getting now. We are, we're hitting a home run with what we're putting out. Uh, just to kind of give you a little idea, you're talking graphite and carbon fiber kind of blend. Um, it carbonite. gives a lot, a lot of strength. Carbonite, yes, sir. Um, we don't want to let the cat out of the bag on the blend that we use, but right. basically it's done by tonnage okay. um, and carbon fiber. But the rods are ultra sensitive, but they also have a lot of strength. So 
if you see somebody who says they have a high modulus uh, rod for sale, let's say you're looking in a store and you're going to buy a rod, bull bay or not, and they're saying that the, the graphite is like a high tonnage graphite, just kind of think about it. You better be a technical fisherman and not be too heavy on dead sticking, a.k.a. being in a kayak, because it happens a lot. Don't make that purchase on that kind of rod unless you're a, a really high-end technical fisherman you know what you're doing, because you're going to have breaks. The thinner the wall, the more graphite you have in a rod or a higher tonnage or higher modulus, anything over 50-ton uh, graphite or you know, IN-10 or IN-12 graphite, Right. You're, you're, you need to be a technical fisherman. You know, don't buy that rod because you're going to have likely have issues with breakage. I got gotcha. you. All right, and 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 kind of to wrap things up, what, what's the vision moving forward here as as Bull Bay rods grows and and you know garners more market strength and and we keep evolving as a country? What's your vision being the primary leader of this band you put together? You know, what's your vision for us? You know, five years from now. Well, I want to see Bull Bay uh, in every market in the, in the in the state of in the United States, state of Florida. Um, I want to I want to be able to have folks afford a nice fishing rod without the expense of a four hundred dollar rod. You know, if you take a three or four hundred dollar rod, we're thirty forty percent lower priced than they are currently for the same quality you'd get at a higher price point. We want to make sure that we never lose ground on customer service, and we never compromise quality. For quantity, right. so we will not travel that road as a company. If we do this, you know, this I'll check out. Um, we can't do it, you know. So to to retain business, to get that market share, and to be a player in this in this industry that's huge, by the way, we have to step it up and be above and, and ahead of the, comp, the competition. Bull Bay Rod stands for quality, warranty, customer service. And then feel the bite, feel the difference. I mean, that's our tagline. And we really mean that with all sincerity. Five years from now, 10 years from now, we want to be the same homegrown company. We want to be doing the same thing. The R&D is going to be there. You're going to be in the middle of it. All these guys are out fishing the rods. We're not going to make changes until you guys approve it. And if we ever get to where we're not doing that, then that can be the end of, end of our deal, you know? Well, I know for me personally – uh, being here the last couple of years and, and watching all the work that you and Dustin have done to grow the brand, uh, what I believe is the right way. Um, and the thing that drew me in immediately was that feel, the way I could feel even a shrimp, a live shrimp hooked on the end of my line. I could feel that shrimp moving in the water, and that was what sold me on Bull Bay Rod's blank technology and I knew that I wanted to be a part of it. So my hat's off to you, my friend. Obviously, you and your son, your family, all become like family to me. Uh, I'm super proud to be a part of the Bull Bay brand, and uh, I just want you to keep up the good work. I appreciate you spending some time with me uh, today and sharing your story. Absolutely. I appreciate being a part, and I'm glad you're uh, part of the family as well. So, you know, tight lines out there, everybody. Just listen to this. If you, think, if you can't find your Bull Bay, go get you a nice rod. It is a tool. Fish it, have a good time, enjoy life. Amen, brother. Well done, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Matt. Hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. My good friend Kelly Phillips with Bull Bay Rods joining me today. I hope we were able to uh, teach you a little something about rods and help you 
decide which rods you want to purchase. Again, if it's not a bull bay rod, that's good. Just hopefully you get a rod that does the job that you're looking for it to do. Real Animals Podcast presented by Contender Boats. If you're looking to build that dream boat of a lifetime, check out contenderboats.com. Start right there. You won't be disappointed. The Real Animals Podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tune in Google Play and ritampabay.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you uh, have anybody you'd like to hear me do a podcast with, reach out to us on our social media. You can check us out at Facebook slash Real Animals and on Instagram at Real Animals TV. Hope everybody has a great day. Thanks for tuning in. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles and DJ Eakin, news and political pundits like Vincent Hill, and independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.